Welcome back to Paradigm Run. I'm your host, Mark Barrios. I really can't thank you enough for listening. It does mean a whole lot, so thank you. In the coming episodes, you're going to hear quite a few synchronicities that occurred within Vern's life. So let's talk synchronicities again for a moment. You've heard me mention Dr. Carl Jung, a psychiatrist and psychologist, a few times now. He wasn't the one who invented the idea of synchronicities, but he was a pioneer into the research of them. And so a synchronicity, it is when an internal occurrence coincides with an external event. And it can be small and subtle, or it can be deep and heavy. We've all kind of heard about that common synchronicity that everyone's aware of. Or you're thinking about a friend you haven't talked to in forever, and then all of a sudden they text or call you at that exact moment. It was something in life which was trying to bring you two together for a reason. And the reason doesn't have to be wildly deep or anything, and maybe it is just so simple as to reconnect with a friend. But life works in this mysterious way sometimes, where we can have those internal occurrences, those intuitions, those feelings, certain thoughts, and then all of a sudden something in our external environment immediately around us, it just coincides with that exact same thought, that feeling, that intuition, and it's beautiful. It's almost a magical way of moving with life to be able to hear them, to see them, to receive them. And so here's a story for you about how Carl Jung started to really dive into synchronicities. So when Carl Jung was still practicing psychiatry, he had a patient come to him. And during their session, the patient brings forth a dream. And the dream was of a golden scarab. It's a beautiful dream image of seeing a beetle like that. But we won't cover that right now. But nonetheless, Dr. Jung's patient, she kind of had this ego conviction of how she saw what was going on within her life in a way in which she saw life and even how she saw the dream. And it was once again, it's that ego conviction and Jung, he was not able to break through to her. He couldn't get her to see a different way of what the dream image was attempting to say. And so while they're sitting there together and Dr. Jung's curious about how to break through to this woman, all of a sudden he hears a tapping. And it caught his attention so much so that he finally turns around to see what it was. And all of a sudden he sees an insect <laughs> flying into the window of his office. Dr. Young stands up, he walks through his window, he opens it, and then all of a sudden this insect flies in and Dr. Young catches it. <laughs> he opens his hand slowly and he looks at it. And he sees that it is a beetle of the scarab family. Young slowly walks over to his patient. <laughs> he looks at her and he goes, Madame, I have found your scarab. He opens his palm and shows her. It was at that moment that he was able to break through to his client because she even saw it as a sign and she kind of just opened up at that point. So once again, these synchronicities, they come in all different shapes and forms and sizes and colors. And I'll say this as well as that Young said that the chance of this happening, of something of this sort in the sense of an internal occurrence coinciding with an external event, that we love to use that word coincidence. 
but this is just a matter of receptivity. And so he said that the chances of such an external event and an internal occurrence happening can only be identified in astronomical figures in mathematics. And so it shows you the rarity that these are not coincidences. We love to use that word in modern day society in our world because we have this new attitude that kind of developed from the industrial and technological revolutions where we like to see that, once again, I've mentioned it, but that reason, that logic, that hard science. But these synchronicities, they're, they're just like those intuitions. They come despite all of that, despite reason, despite logic. They're there to help guide us in this different form, this different way of moving with life. And this is ancient primordial wisdom. It's been here all along. It's just a matter of, once again, moving slow and still enough to be able to see them, to hear them, to receive what they're trying to say into our lives. <laughs> so thank you again for listening. Here's episode eight, Cigarettes and Synchronicities. I hope you enjoy. Now, in November 2019, as Vern was back overseas, he received an intuition which came to him as if it had sprung forth out of the thin air. Vern knew he could trust his intuition and instincts, as he believed in trusting what comes from the heart or the gut in a situation. This wisdom came in his athletic days when he made split decisions to cut left or right around an opponent, or inherently knew the move an offensive player would make when he was operating defensively. His military combat time also gave him additional experience when fast responses were needed. But even with those bone-chilling moments, when one knows something is not right nearby. Vern would even use this function when faced with life-changing decisions, including decisions to leave numerous professions behind. If time allotted, Vern would never give an answer to anyone without sleeping on it. Vern would contemplate his options, solidify his feelings towards those options, and then sleep on it. Whatever his heart and gut intuitively felt in the morning would always be his answer. He somehow knew the answer to be true without hesitation, and Vern knew throughout the course of a day, the mind can easily begin overanalyzing, wandering, and questioning decisions. This intuition, however, was new, not something he had ever encountered before. As he was walking across his compound one day, it hit him like a snake to the calf, and the intuition from the deep turned into words. It is time to break up with Mia. What? He thought. That can't be. But Vern felt it. He knew there was something there. Vern sat with this for a few days, denying the plausibility of it. That just can't be, he said again. But as another week elapsed, he only felt it growing stronger. Vern was completing administrative paperwork for his team late one evening, and out of seemingly nowhere, the intuition surfaced again. Vern stopped what he was doing and decided to sit with it, to give it attention, to give the intuition the life it sought for. Vern spoke within. Okay, I want you to know I hear you, I feel you, 
But why this intuition to break up with Mia? She's so sweet, pure, and innocent. She's such a good woman. Why would you want me to hurt her? For no logical reason. Vern leaned back in his office chair and placed his arms above his head. Contemplating what he had just thought, he continued. I understand my life is different than it once was, before pursuing this path of truth. But why does she have to be hurt in the process? At that very moment, Vern caught a glimpse of his team member's phone, on which he was scrolling a news app at the desk next to him. Vern saw the large caption below an image which failed to load. The truth is worth it. Chills coursed up Vern's spine and he froze. He wanted to tell his teammate to scroll back up. He even tried to get the words out, but he was speechless. Nonetheless, Vern knew he didn't need it. He knew what he just saw. Vern ran with the idea of coincidence, but instinctively, he knew there was no truth to that. This was a sign. This was a synchronicity. Vern's intuition turned to thought as he contemplated the path of truth he was on and why Mia would have to be hurt in the process. Combined with the synchrony of seeing the phrase, the truth is worth it, appear before his eyes, Vern could hardly process what had just occurred. Over the next few days, he recorded the intuition and the subsequent synchronicity in his journal, processing and consolidating his thoughts. Vern knew he was amid something. He was in his own tension of opposites, his own conflict of duties. On the one hand, Vern knew he must be loyal to the path and where it was taking him, to trust it wholeheartedly, to trust those intuitions and synchronicities. But Vern also wanted to be true to Mia, to be the man he knew he could be for her, to love her. This began to weigh heavier and heavier upon Vern, but he knew now, against all logic, rationality, and reason, he must end it. This conflict awakened Vern's greatest weakness, his Achilles heel. Vern had been face to face with insurgents. He had stared down barrels at men with their barrels at him. He had mortars explode all around him. He had an RPG explode only five meters from his truck long ago in Iraq. He had seen friends die. He had confronted and interrogated people who committed grievous crimes. But Vern's greatest weakness was his desire to never hurt a woman, to never let a woman down, to live within the realm of heroes and love unconditionally and wholeheartedly, to do good, to cast all his needs and desires aside, to maintain the happiness of his significant other. However, any true path will, at the exact, appropriate, and corresponding time, present one's greatest weakness as an initiation to see if one is truly ready for what remains ahead. Vern, however, was nowhere near ready for this. Due to return home for leave very soon, Vern was not ready to see Mia after what he had encountered. One evening at work, Vern's supervisor briefed him they were short on people and were looking for people to extend. Vern called and explained to Mia that his team needed the extra manpower and he could use the extra money, knowing he was getting closer to leaving this line of work behind him. Mia wasn't happy, but she understood. Vern extended for another three months, choosing to stay in a foreign country surrounded by hostile forces rather than facing his biggest fear, confronting Mia. 
While he accepted he may never reach a solid reason, to back his intuition, he felt he had to keep searching, to understand why he must end their relationship. Two weeks elapsed without any dwindling down of the intuition. Multiple times Vern found himself praying in his room asking, Why? Vern's emotional state began to fume from the inside, now impacting his daily life and work. Then Vern had a dream. He recorded in his journal on his nightstand. I was standing in a small room, and there was a suicide bomber standing in the hallway outside of the room I was in. I knew he was there, and I was deciding how to act. This dream, a symbolic display, was quite indicative of his present situation. Vern felt the mounting emotional tension beneath the surface, fearing it might erupt at any moment. Vern began to increase his exercises and meditations and attempt to release the tension, but it wasn't working. Being the military man he was, Vern also externalized this dream, wondering if there was an imminent threat to their compound. The next night, Vern had another dream. My team and I were walking through a compound, and our own guards then turned on us. My team and I assumed our positions behind cover, and we began to return fire. Then I saw a suicide bomber sprinting towards us, and me specifically. I stood up, aimed in on the bomber, and pulled the trigger. But my weapon malfunctioned. I dropped to a knee, attempting to rectify the malfunction. I knew the bomber was getting closer, and then I heard the bomb on the suicide bomber's back. It began to beep as if it were about to go off. One of my teammates jumped in next to me and took a shot. My teammate hit the suicide bomber in the neck, and I heard the bomb's beeping turn into an electronic-sounding voice which stated, Jamming detected. Vern woke with a fright inside of him, this dream bordering on nightmare. Like the one previous, the stream displayed very symbolic images that portrayed the activity within Vern's own being, his inner world. The guards turning on Vern and his team was itself Vern's defense mechanism, no longer operating as it should. When we choose not to assume a task before us, which we know we must, the once helpful inner psychic forces begin to show their dark side. An inner war begins to wage until we act in accordance with what we know we must. And once again, the suicide bomber, a threatening manifestation which depicted Vern's emotional state, which was ready to blow at any moment. The tension Vern was feeling from the thought of the confrontation with Mia to break up with her was beginning to tear Vern apart. He is face to face with a situation, a conflict of duties he does not want to be in. Despite Vern's attempt to act within the dream, he fails. In conscious life, Vern had been attempting to find the right time to end the relationship with Mia. He would get close, but then fail to execute. His method of action fails, just as the dream shows. But a shadow image of Vern appears. His teammate assumes a position next to Vern and fires a shot into the bomber's neck, causing the bomb to jam and not go off. This shadow figure is a manifestation of the dark side within Vern, begging to be integrated and saying all too clearly, you must act despite your feelings. You must stand up and take the shot to end the situation. Vern, so very new to the dream world, woke with just as much fright from the first one 
he began externalizing again, speculating an attack to their compound was getting closer. He failed to see the symbolic value of the dream as it related to his current situation. Nonetheless, the change in which dreams seek to enact upon our ego consciousness can often break through without the full conscious understanding of the dream meaning, and Verna woke knowing he still needed to trust the intuition, as he was also tired of feeling the weight of the situation along with the now recent nightmares. A few days later he mustered all his strength and courage despite the anxiety of confrontation, and after work one night, through all the tears, pain, and lack of understanding, he told Mia everything and ended the relationship. Vern fell on his bed in tears at what he had just done. He hoped that if he trusted his intuition, a feeling of peace would come over him. But it was simply not quite so. Vern was in pain, his insides hurt. Tears streamed down his face at the thought of not having Mia in his life. Vern couldn't understand and became angry, pleading with God, why? Why did I have to do that? Vern even questioned his own mental health again, if he had gone too far into whatever this path was. Vern was in much pain, his pillowcase soaked with tears. But after an hour of the pain and suffering in his bed, he drifted off to sleep, and then a dream came forth. This was the first in weeks that had not been a violent nightmare. Vern recorded, I was sprinting down a soccer field, a sport I played competitively in my youth. I had the ball. I was one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and was closing in fast. As I drew near and saw an opportunity to take a shot, I knew the chance of scoring was slim due to the angle. Nevertheless, I took the shot. The keeper went diving after the ball horizontally in the air. It skimmed by an inch of his gloves and went into the far left corner of the net. I scored and an expression of joy came over my face. I circled towards the sidelines and my team and the crowd were cheering on wildly. I looked to the sidelines for my coach, but I saw someone I didn't recognize. A woman, several years older than me with beautiful, long flowing blonde hair. She was standing there with her arms crossed, but there was no expression on her face, and I knew she was waiting to see exactly what I would do next. This dream hardly needs explanation. He stood up to the task, faced the situation head-on, which he intuitively knew he must, and he took the shot and scored. The unconscious was sending Vern a complimentary dream to his actions, attempting to show him his actions were favorable. But Vern wondered, who is this woman, though, as he recorded the dream? He rolled back over and every ounce of energy within him instantly returned to Mia. Leaving the limbo between the dream world and the physical, his thoughts circled to what he had done. Tears began to stream down. The pain returned with the same force as the night before. And Vern whispered, This can't be. This hurts too much to be right. Vern went to the shower and knelt as the water poured onto his back. Just like before, his tears mixing with the water at his feet. Vern's chin lifted as he spoke within. This can't be. It doesn't feel right. Who are you, Vern? You're one who has always evaded a serious relationship because you enjoy your solitary ways so much. So what's the truth, Vern? I love Mia. I fucking love this girl. 
Here I am trying to evade the situation, to run from it as I always have. I'll call her. Maybe she'll take me back. Vern felt a burst of adrenaline he'd not experienced in a long time. He believed he was onto something. Perhaps this was all to make me realize this, to make me conscious of this, Vern thought to himself. There was a new energy to Vern. He wanted to call Mia immediately, but as Vern got out of the shower, he whispered to himself, Don't do anything rash. What if you're wrong? The thoughts began to toil within his mind. He couldn't think straight, but Vern circled back around to what he had thought while in the shower. Vern made the decision. I'll call Mia as soon as I finish shift chain. Vern attended his pre-shift meeting with an eagerness for it to end already. He could not wait to call Mia. Even if she wouldn't take him back, he knew he had to tell her. The meeting ended and Vern went outside and lit a cigarette. He messaged Mia. Can you talk for a moment? She replied a moment later. Sure. Vern made the call and Mia answered with a crack in her voice. Mia. I want to say a few things. It hit me hard this morning. I have always run from relationships when things start to go smooth. I have been living on my own for so long now. It was as if I was trying to evade you. But I don't want that. What are you saying, Vern? The truth is, Mia, I love you. I don't want to run from you. I know what I did was wrong, and I am so very sorry. I want to be with you, Mia. Is there any chance you would consider this? There was a moment of silence between the two before Mia finally broke through. When you messaged me, Vern, I knew you were going to say I love you, but I wasn't expecting the second part. I know it was wrong, Mia, but a new clarity hit me this morning. I want to be yours and for you to be mine. I love you. Gosh, it feels good to finally say that. Mia laughed and said through her cracking voice and tears in her eyes, I love you too, stupid boy, and yes. I want to be with you. Vern lit up like he has not in years. A beaming expression of joy burst from him. Babe, I can't thank you enough. You have no idea how happy this makes me. I just want to be with you. Me too. You're a pain in the ass, but I do love you, Vern, and I do want to be with you. I know this is terrible timing, babe, but I have to get back to work. I just had to call you as soon as I was able. I know this will be weird moving forward for a bit, but I promise you, I'm yours, and I'm here. Message me anytime. I understand. I love you, said Mia. I love you too, said Vern. Vern began walking back to his team room with a smile to an extent rarely seen. Vern received a message from Mia only a moment later. That felt right. It was right, babe. I was such an idiot last night. I'm glad you decided to call, Vern. I love you. Me too. I love you, Mia. Vern arrived to his team's designated building and engaged some administrative topics from the team meeting. He wanted to tell everyone in the room what had just happened, but decided to keep it for himself. The remainder of the day ensued, and Vern did not read or engage in any of his usual practices. Rather, he simply thought how happy he was to have discovered this new level of clarity within. He wanted to fly home this very moment and be with Mia. But suddenly, the previous night's dream hit Vern out of nowhere. He forgot he had even recorded this dream until this very moment. Vern now spiraled in his thoughts. Shit, 
That was a positive dream I haven't seen in a long time. I took a shot and scored. Oh shit. That came right after breaking up with Mia. Did I retract too early? Oh my god, did I mess up. It can't be. This feels right. Everything this morning felt right. Perhaps that was what the dream was for. To show me a positive event that would come from all this. Vern went about his evening with those concluding thoughts, and even spoke with Mia in a joyous conversation before crawling into bed. Vern lay in bed that night with a smile on his face, and simply prayed, Thank you for that. Thank you for showing me what you did. Vern drifted to sleep, and a dream presented itself as if it had been waiting for him since the moment he called Mia. I was on a train going to a new place I had never been, with two of my co-workers and a woman. We all had our pistols on us, and we even checked prior to getting on the train. When we stepped off the train, I proceeded to check on my pistol one more time. I reached for the holster hidden in my waistband, except it was gone. I began to panic, turning around looking everywhere. I realized I had lost my pistol and I had no idea where it was. Verna woke in a panic. In his line of work, if you misplace or lose a pistol, you are rightfully fired, sent home on the next available flight, and blacklisted from ever working in this line of work again. This dream felt real upon waking. Vern immediately turned on the light and saw his pistol sitting on the desk next to him. Vern's adrenaline was soaring despite knowing he did not, in fact, lose his pistol. Vern rolled towards his nightstand to record the dream the fright lingering. Vern began ruminating on the dream. I'm on a train heading to somewhere new, but I lost my pistol in the process. The pistol. That's a symbol in this dream. What does that mean? That's my personal protection. That's a sense of freedom to me. Could this mean symbolically? That's my ability to fire a projectile, to project my actions into the world for the defense of myself and others. But I lost it. He mumbled under his breath. Oh shit. I was headed somewhere new on this path, but now I lost my personal protection. Is this related to Mia? Did I have no patience after breaking up with her, and now I lost something valuable to me? It can't be. Vern followed his typical routine, taking a hot shower and lightly stretching before putting on his work clothes. Vern felt something different though. He felt something in his chest. Attention. He was not used to. What is that? He said to himself. Vern went on stretching and prepared for work. As Vern walked across the compound to work, he stumbled as dizziness and imbalance overcame him during a step. Whoa, that was weird, he said to himself. He continued and went about the morning changeover, in briefs as usual. All was well until about two hours into shift. Vern was sitting at his work computer checking the latest intel briefs when he decided to go have a cigarette with the remainder of his coffee. As Vern stood up, he suddenly lost his balance causing him to stumble again. He regained it quickly but thought to himself, that felt like vertigo, like an equilibrium thing. This time, it stayed. Vern could stand up straight, but he felt as if he were gently spinning. Vern went to see his team medic, explaining what he just experienced to which the medic described vertigo and some typical causes of it. 
Vern felt better now and shrugged it off. Maybe he drank coffee too quick or stood up too fast. But Vern knew this wasn't the case. The feeling, although very short-lived, came and went throughout the remainder of Vern's shift. Remembering the medic mentioned that stress can induce vertigo, Vern simply told himself, You just experienced a hell of a thing with Mia. Maybe you're just recovering from it. That was a rather intense several hours. Vern got off shift, worked out, stretched, meditated, and prayed. Vern felt good about his decision with Mia, and he soon drifted off to sleep, only to meet another terrifying dream. I was sitting at an old wooden dining room table in a home I didn't know. There was a man in front of me with tears in his eyes. He was saying sexually lewd comments to me, but I knew he was doing this against his will. I saw a woman to the man's left with long, jet-black curly hair. I never saw her face, but I knew she was somehow controlling him. I knew this man was possessed by her. Vern had come across the words anima and animus in his readings. The anima appears within the dreams of men as the feminine component of man's personality, whereas the animus appears in the dreams of women as the masculine component of woman's personality. These two seek to convey something to us, which our ego consciousness is unaware of. The anima and animus are inner guides. And these are not about male or female, but about masculine and feminine components once again within each of us. While Vern knew the concepts, he hadn't fully met or come to know his own inner anima yet. He didn't yet understand that this was her appearing in dream form. Unbeknownst to Vern, this was the anima, the same woman from the soccer dream, but now in her dark form. In this dream, Vern had been face to face with his own shadow, who was possessed by the anima. Vern's unconscious had in clearest terms possible revealed within his dream that Vern was under what is known as the anima possession in depth psychology. Unfortunately, Vern did not have the slightest idea what this was. Vern awoke in a fright once again at this man, his shadow, being possessed by a woman. He then felt an anxiety come over him so strong, Vern literally began to tremble. After 30 minutes of anxiety, Vern was finally able to drift back to sleep. Yet again, another dark dream awaiting him from the unconscious. I saw a terrarium. Inside was a black rabbit standing on its hind legs. Its eyes were rolled back into its head, and the frightful whiteness of the eyes shone against the rabbit's black fur. The rabbit was trembling and shaking against its will. Vern awoke in a panic, and with anxiety so intense, he could hardly catch his breath. All he could think was, Fucking Donnie Darko dream. What is this rabbit within me psychologically? I don't know, but here I am actually trembling and shaking feeling as if I am locked in a cage against my will. Vern's heart began to feel as if it were about to burst from his chest. He began to breathe slow and deep. He knew what he needed to do with his extensive medical training. Vern checked his pulse and began to count. 90 beats per minute. My resting rate is 62 to 67. Vern consistently had the resting heart rate of an endurance runner, but here he was with 90 beats per minute with no physical exercise to warrant the increase. Just the nightmare of a dark black rabbit.
This is not good, Vern mumbled to himself. He stumbled to the shower and cranked the water to freezing cold, bringing his overheating body back to a semi-moderate temperature. Vern went about his day and consistently checked his bulks. Not once did it drop below 75, and it typically remained at 80 beats per minute. Vern could feel the vertigo again, his equilibrium spinning. Vern comically and nonchalantly said to his team and medic, I still feel like I'm spinning a bit, so if I flop over during the training, just tell them I've been feeling off a bit lately. He and his team laughed at the thought of it. Vern was somehow able to maintain his persona, that mask we all put on in front of others. As his night shift of work ensued, a dark feeling was only growing stronger in Vern's chest. He began to feel a weight on his shoulders, a tightness in his chest. Vern could not even take a full breath as he sat at his computer, doing absolutely nothing. A darkness was creeping in on him, and he could hardly continue with it. Vern took the deepest breath he could, composed himself and his voice, and said to his team, Things are slow right now. I'm gonna go drop a load of laundry in. I'll be back. They nodded without a care in the world, and Vern walked slowly to his room. He was halfway there when his breathing faltered, his chest overcome with tightness. The weight on his shoulders wanted to pull him to the ground. You're almost there, Vern. We just need to be alone right now, he mumbled to himself. Vern walked into a small room which felt like a jail cell now. He sat down in his chair and began sweating. Smaller, faster, shorter breaths were occurring. Vern felt as if he could not breathe. He grasped his chest. What is this? What's happening to me? A tear came forth and Vern, fearful he was about to have a heart attack, tore a page from his notebook and wrote, Chest hurts. Can't breathe. Zero one oh four hours. And he placed it on his desk should someone find Vern passed out or unconscious. Or even dead, he thought to himself. Sweat poured from everywhere. Vern ripped off his boots and socks, stripped his shirt, threw his hat into the corner, and he grabbed a bottle of water from his mini-fridge and poured it over his head and neck and down his back, without a care in the world about the water all over his chair and room. He grabbed another bottle and poured it over his arms and his feet. Fern thought he was going to die as he began to breathe faster and faster, nearly encountering hyperventilation. Forty-seven minutes of this elapsed. Vern was methodical, always annotating, always journaling. And then Vern felt the first full breath come through. Holy shit, that felt good, he said. Vern began to recover, breathing slowly, a little deeper each time. He checked his pulse. 77, you're coming down. Vern could breathe again, but knew he had to return to work. He dried himself off, put his clothes and boots back on, walked outside and lit a cigarette, inhaling to a depth he never had. As the end of the cigarette flared brightly red, he whispered to himself, What the fuck was that? I thought I was going to die. Fuck, I even wrote a note to let someone know. And then it hit Vern like another streak of lightning. That was anxiety. That was an anxiety attack. You just reversed your first fucking panic attack and in Afghanistan, of all fucking places. Vern had encountered anxiety before, but this was his first panic attack. Vern suddenly sought knowledge. He went to his office work computer and searched anxiety and panic attacks. He met nearly every criterion. Vern said to himself, 
Well, now I suffer from anxiety. That fucking black rabbit. Vern felt an odd sense of achievement in understanding what that near hour-long event of hell was. He felt he could use this knowledge to now begin the work of overcoming his anxiety. But the darkness and the nightmares continued. Vern, now five months into his extended rotation, knew he could not be a suitable employee, let alone a supervisor, in his current state. Vern spent the remainder of his quiet shift contemplating options, while consistently checking his elevated heart rate. Vern didn't want to appear weak before his boss or team, so he made up a story about Lucia and approached his boss. Hey boss, can we talk? Come on in. Things aren't too well right now. I have a lot of stress going on. You feeling a lot of weight? I am. I've been through some shit while at this job. I lost my mom not so long ago, and her dog, which I took on after she passed, died last week. And now my grandma isn't doing so well either. I know I extended and I still have another month left to go, but I really need to get home. Fuck, man. You just extended. I know, boss. I'm sorry, but I have things to take care of back home. I get it. Alright, let's see what we can do. Thank you. This means more than you know. Vern's boss called him back into the office an hour later. The next flight they could have him on was five days out. Vern trembled at the thought of five more days in his current situation, but ultimately he agreed to it. Vern walked out and spoke to himself in a way he never before had. Good on you, Vern. I'm proud of you. That was a big step with everything you're going through. Good on you. A little self-love and kindness within can go a long way. Vern losing Marie's pup, Cowboy, a week prior was no easy task. Lucia had called Vern in tears one evening after seeing Cowboy's elbow swell rapidly, pain setting in on him. A visit from the veterinarian revealed Cowboy had bone cancer which was spreading rapidly. Having to speak with the veterinarian and schedule the euthanasia was a difficult task in conjunction with everything Vern was enduring. Vern fell into more pain and tears at the thought of him not being able to say goodbye and be the one to bury Cowboy. He felt another portion of his mother had faded further away from him. The next four days maintained the hell-like state for Vern. He felt he was consistently going to drop from the burden of weight and the tightness in his chest at any moment. Vern was barely eating. He could no longer read or search or even think straight. Vern even quit drinking coffee cold turkey as his previous cup, elevated his anxiety, and nearly sent him into another panic attack. Vern was in pure survival mode. He questioned to himself late one evening, Is it possible all this is from not trusting my intuition? From going against it? But Vern felt he needed to take care of himself right now and let the musings go. He downloaded peaceful and soothing music, watched lighthearted television shows, such as animal documentaries. He did breath work, anything to take away the dark thoughts, which were now consistently invading his mind. Vern was now a full-blown neurotic. He could not sleep more than three to four hours a night and would wake from exhausting and bone-chilling nightmares. But then Vern had a gentle dream the night before he was to fly home. I saw a young couple packing a canoe with camp gear for an excursion. A guide showed up at the canoe launch and said, I can't go with you, but you two will be all right. Vern awoke and contemplated the dream, and wondered why the guide would not come with. But Vern pondered on this man, an inner guide talking to Vern's shadow and anima, 
aspects of Vern's very own personality, telling them, and Vern himself, you will be all right. Vern saw the first glimpse of hope from this dream, and before he knew it, he was on a plane heading back to Florida. Vern arrived in Florida with no more than eight hours of sleep from the previous three days. Mia was aware he was coming home, but Vern made no mention of the panic attack or neurotic behavior to Mia. Vern couldn't handle that talk while in his current state overseas. He called Mia shortly after he settled into his house and told her of his recent encounters, but culminated by saying, I don't know the cause of this yet, but you know me well enough to know, Mia. I'm not going to seek out some pharmaceuticals to simply numb this. There's a reason for this, and I have to figure it out. I love you, babe. I know you know that, but I just need a week or two to decompress from everything, and then maybe we can fly you down in a week or so. Mia understood, having traversed her own panic attacks previously, and she was more than accommodating and supported Vern through and through. Vern could not understand how kind she was, and could barely even process why he had to previously break up with her. The next week was pure darkness for Vern, though. He continued reading on anxiety, depression, and neurosis, and he knew there was a reason for it. Vern knew he needed to discover the source of this, and he went to work researching and meditating. As Vern continued to research what he was experiencing, he then came across a website which spoke his language. It was the website of a woman named Jessamine, a Jungian analyst. Vern read her extensive material and felt another glimmer of hope. Vern needed help. He knew this now. Vern knew a conventional psychologist or therapist was not for him, and he also knew he was not going to numb this with pharmaceuticals. Although psychiatric treatment and conventional therapeutic practices do have their time and place, Vern wanted to understand the depths of what was inside of him, something he didn't feel conventional therapy would offer. So Vern reached out to her, and the two arranged a video call. Jungian analysts are a small community of professionals who operate with a unique type of work, psychoanalysis. They understand and aid in analysis, especially regarding symbols of myth, religion, spirituality, and more, which all commonly appear in dream. They understand the light and dark boundaries of the path, because they have walked the path. They are wounded healers of her time and are specialists of the symbolic territory of the unconscious. Vern met with her and the two came to know each other quite well. Vern filled her in on everything he had been recently experiencing, not holding anything back. It was another moment of hope for Vern. The answers to the path of individuation do not happen overnight, and especially not in a single session. It is a process wherein they walk the path with you, to bring the suffering to light. And after speaking with her, Vern realized she had been on this path for over two decades. He knew she was the right person. Vern had found himself another mentor in walking this beautifully dark, untrodden trail. A neurosis is defined as a disorder that causes a sense of distress and deficit in functioning. Neuroses are characterized by anxiety, depression, or other feelings of unhappiness or distress. Anxiety and depression are more common than ever before, 
And as these dark aspects live on, it's time we understand they are here for a reason. Anxiety and depression and other neuroses, they're not to be suppressed or numb so we can go return to the life we were living when that condition began in the first place. The presence of anxiety and depression, it's a higher calling to change the viewpoint or conviction of our conscious mind. And in this sense, I mean our ego consciousness. It seeks a change to life itself. It was Carl Jung who stated, Neurosis is really an attempt at self-cure. It is an attempt of the self-regulating psychic system to restore the balance, in no way different than the function of dreams, only rather more forceful and drastic. Anxiety and depression come about as an attempt to recenter and move us into alignment with our true nature. We don't see it as such in our daily life, we just see it as these dark forces that we need to immediately overcome. But sometimes in life, we step aside from the truth of who we each are. And this could be due to societal pressure, conformity, or even a false truth our ego attached to. And this is okay, it happens. But we must remember that the dark nature of anxiety and depression, it became activated within our lives for a reason. The moment we see why, it's the first step in coming to a higher state of personal consciousness. And it is then that we can begin to transcend the darkness of a neurosis and enter into alignment with our individual truth. Dr. Young said elsewhere, we should not try to get rid of a neurosis, but rather to experience what it means, what it has to teach, what its purpose is. We should even learn to be thankful for it. Otherwise we pass it by and miss the opportunity of getting to know ourselves as we really are. A neurosis is truly removed only when it has removed the false attitude of the ego. We do not cure it, it cures us. A man is ill, but the illness is nature's attempt to heal him. From the illness itself we can learn so much for our recovery. And what the neurotic flings away is absolutely worthless, contains the true gold we should never have found elsewhere. It's also as the old Zen Buddhist once said, sit in the fire. This fire is a cleansing fire. It comes to purge and to cleanse us from that which holds our forward striving energy back from living our potential. This fire, it's about sitting in the darkness, sitting in the anxiety, sitting in the depression and feeling it and seeing what it has to say. It's about feeling the depth to it. It's time we see anxiety and depression for the voice in which they are. Although it is a loud, dark voice, which seems to haunt us, it comes with purpose. Only when we choose to sit in that fire and to honor what the neurosis is attempting to say, can we finally discover a personal change which was so desperately needed in our lives. This is Paradigm Run. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Mark Barrios. As always, more to come.